0: Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. I said that very enthusiastically for a club that's just, just beat West Coast. The Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast is too black to have known each other forever. We catch up most days in the Melbourne CBD for lunch to talk everything Essendon Footy Club. My name is Grant. With me is Scott. And also with us tonight um, is a senior writer at The Athletic and host of the Game Theory Podcast, Mr. Sam Vecini. G'day,
1: Sam. How are you? Oh, how's it going, guys? It's good to be here. I I feel like I haven't gotten a chance to talk uh Essendon in a public forum for a little while now. I think that you know we do like a bi-yearly catch <laughs> yeah, up on yeah, this yeah, thing. Yeah, we do you know, twice a year, and it's probably been probably been about six months. So we're good. We're it's nice. about that time.
2: I like it. Yeah, it's fantastic to have you on the show, Sam. And um you're one person that we get definitely get requests for. Uh and I, I think uh, I think people really like your take on things and and sometimes because of your sporting background, uh, it, it sometimes I feel like it's a really interesting take um, that you may have, whether it be list management, whether it be other areas, whether it be your your expertise on team sports and his, you know, historically but it's even just coming from a different frame of reference of you know me myself and grant you know we're five years old going to Windy Hill. We have that yeah. we have that kind of historical you know where we obviously you, your wife introduced you to, uh, to the and Football Club and, and that's how it happened and 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 you've come over now to, to live here and work and and you're you're a mad bomber fan mad sports fan and I just love that you I get a, a really interesting take and 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 love to hear what your thoughts are um, can I ask first just before yeah. we go into Essendon, you, you how was vegas in the summer league <laughs>
1: well it's the four, first time i've been there for four years uh i used to go um uh just about every year uh it's probably the fifth or sixth time i've gone and i've been bragging about basketball for almost a decade now and look i i i, I will rag on summer league uh because i think <laughs> that people take the wrong things away from summer league yeah but truly I have a great time going every time I go. I will try and go most years uh at this point. I, I really love it. It's a really great opportunity to meet some great people, meet you know, fans of the podcast, to go meet writers that I'm friends with that I communicate with, you know, over the phone and online and everything like that. Uh and go to meet with NBA people and agents that I don't get a chance to see uh often enough. So it's it's a really, really great event. Anybody that is a big NBA fan, I truly would recommend going. It's, it's just like a big basketball convention and it's just like really, really fun.
2: Did, can I, this is a weird question. Did you see the sphere? Because that thing is- I did. That, that thing is just, it, it freaks me out of how, how cool it looks. No, it's not a
1: weird question because it's a weird thing. Like <laughs> the fact that that sphere exists, like it, it's- It's cool and almost an eyesore at the same time when you drive by it. I don't know how to explain it. Like you will just, and they put different things on it. Like there will be a point where you look at it and it's just a freaking eyeball. And you're just like, (laughs) what are we doing here? Uh, I, I like asked a lot of the cab drivers around Vegas, like what? Is the deal with this thing and they were just like yeah you know it's like a concert venue and people will go in and they'll see like taylor swift and people like that and then also the idea is that they will do advertisements on the outside of it and yeah. things like that and i was just like cool when do the advertisements instead of the eyeball start like that'd be nice because
2: <laughs> I, I think i think to open it up you too um to kind of do the first slot there of shows um but yeah it would it's just uh it, if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube and type in sphere Las Vegas. It's one of the most amazing pieces of engineering, no matter what it is. It's my most amazing piece of engineering you would ever want to see. Uh, and it just, it just freaks me out. But, uh, look, uh, yeah, obviously, and I didn't mention enough that your background mainly is NBA, especially around the draft. If there's a cow to me of the NBA, I think I think you would be linked to it. Um, but that's, you know, you have that sort of expertise um, and, and build up such a strong reputation and, and authenticity around around how much knowledge you know around college basketball and what's and, and, and the draft period. But you're a mad AFL fan too. So... And we've known you for now a couple of years. We've spoken each year. Last year, it was a a pretty sombre kind of (laughs) feel Uh, (laughs) with seven wins on the board. Uh, And, you know, I'm actually interested because I haven't spoken to you even before, you know, prior to even November. Not a whole lot. Yeah, even to November 22. So I'm I'm actually just curious um, how you see initially the club and how that changed. I mean, you, as in president, CEO, coach, new development structure, you know, full-time VFL roles for the first time, just what you, we may think is basic things that most clubs should have just initially that structure coming in place and how important that might be.
1: Yeah. I think that the last time I came on the show was probably, I don't know, what it have been like trade period time? So like November, so when the club was-
2: Probably just prior which, when it was down on his knees, yeah.
1: Yeah, and let's be real about it, like they were in the shit, like at that point. <laughs> like they were in the middle of it. Yeah. And I think that if I remember correctly, what I kind of talked about was just structures and building the right structures and continuing to go about things in a process-driven way. Uh, whereas it feels like this club has oftentimes not gone about it in that way. And there are still aspects of the club that I have an immense amount of concern regarding, but I think undeniably it has taken an enormous step forward this season. I don't think that you can really look at it otherwise. Not only is the product on the field better from a process perspective, but – it does feel like it's better off the field. I mean, look, it's quiet, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's quiet, which is good. Right. Like, and I guess we'll find out, uh, if the, you know, Josh Mooney and, you know, Adrian Dodoro stuff, you know, comes to the forefront during the trade period again, or, you know, whatever. right? Right. Like that's, that's still a little bit of time away here coming up in October, November, but I'm I'm optimistic. Like, I, this is going to be a positive conversation for the most part. Like, I have, I have some thoughts that are negative on some things, but I find it hard to be too negative about a year where I thought they would be in the mix for maybe not the number one overall pick because, you know, we did feel like West Coast was probably going to be pretty bad and we felt like North Melbourne was probably going to be pretty bad. But I felt like they would probably be in the bottom five bottom four, and they're three games left in the midst of a finals push. However, you know, DOA, that seems, as we watched them <laughs> yeah, scrape yeah. over the line against West Coast, right? Yeah, well,
2: I guess that's, um, yeah, it's it. it it's been a very hard year to for me to assess because you've got that round one to 13 kind of view. And it was like the first time I thought, Oh, you know, I'm, I I think it's a predictable how they're going to come out, how they're going to play. Yeah. You know, it, it might come to turnovers, it may come to some silly mistakes that might cost you a game, but you accept that because the. But then, then the break happens, um, and whether it coincides with Sam Draper's news and all that sort of thing, I, I I'm that's what I'm trying to rack my head around. But it, just out, just out, outside of that break comes a a slightly different on field. View. Uh, you have the poor loss to Fremantle, um, poor loss to Geelong, which in some ways is very common for us. But so you kind of go, okay, that's that's one. I'll go, okay. Um, but then a, a poor showing against uh, the Western Bulldogs. Uh, yep. You know, he had back-to-back games where he hadn't scored fifty points, uh, and and then probably the West Coast game. You would say it's a win, and, and you actually and generally, I say this. Authentically, I'm really happy for it that they that they actually got up the last 90 seconds and showed some grunt and went, okay, let's win this thing. That's great, but it was it was still a showing that didn't give you a world of confidence. So where where do you where do you see that? Like, how do you view? I guess this last seven week period to that first 13 week period, and it, do you do you think there's some re- realistic tiredness? Uh, conversation around the young midfield group and or is it a, maybe a mental tide or you know I'm, I'm I'm trying to rack my brain around where where do I think as a fan I, I think this is all sitting and 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 there's another sorry I'm, I'm waffling on way too long for this yeah. long question but there's even another theory that someone was mentioning in the media and and, and there was a, another conversation is we, you don't know too how Scott's training them during the week like is he training them quite heavily uh, because he's trying to address certain areas, and they're just naturally tired um, because they're they're not they're not a top six club getting managed in the week. He's trying to, you know, I know they did last week. Say, for instance, full match simulation stuff, and there were some heavy clashes, and I know that from yeah. a training report. So, is there that kind of area where Scott's actually still trying to coach this group, and and doesn't really care in some ways if we make the finals?
1: I think he probably cares if they make the finals. Like, I think that it is important to look at it from a holistic viewpoint though. True. True. I think that a lot of the issues that drove me crazy the last six years before this one was, I just did not feel like this was a well-coached team. Uh, I did not feel like this is a team that had any sort of structure. I didn't feel like it was a team that had any sort of defensive structure, frankly. And that is what drove me nuts uh, watching them, especially the last couple of years. Like there was no point where I felt like John Worsfold had any sort of idea in terms of how to adjust to what the opponent was presenting to him. Uh, I think that Ben Rutten was early in his career maybe, and also maybe just, you know, didn't quite have that ability. I think the jury's out on Rutten much more so than it is on, I think it was completely reasonable to get rid of him, but I just, I'm at least willing to give him a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt, despite the fact that he was not an effective coach for the Essendon football club with Brad Scott there. I have never felt that concern watching them this year he makes decisions like putting Jake Kelly on the wing that I don't agree with. And I think sometimes he does it like, you know, to play him in something of a tagging role. I think he does it sometimes to get Nick Cox, you know, minutes in the back line as opposed to on the wing, right? And I think there are reasons for why he does what he does. And I think oftentimes those are tied to some sort of developmental ideal. But I just can't help but notice that the defensive structures, particularly, Uh, are much more sound. Like I I will watch them, you know, track back through the midfield. And uh, there are a couple guys where I have concerns with that, but like, for the most part, it feels like they take up space. It feels like they're attached to their guys and they're, you know, performing their responsibilities to me as somebody that like, doesn't know a lot of stuff about this stuff right like (laughs) but it was abundantly obvious previously under the previous regimes that other teams just had the most space in the world going through the corridor going through every different little area that they could uh when Essendon would play them especially you know over the last three or four years i think realistically uh that's just not true this year i feel like they have some games where they get into a back and forth like the sydney game was pretty open Uh, throughout portions of it. But for the most part, I feel like the adjustments that he makes are quite strong. Like earlier, you know, in the West coast game, right? Like in the first quarter, it feels like they're trying to get a switch all the time in order to try and open up the part of the field. So what does he do whenever they get the ball in defense? Because uh, Essendon is struggling to uh, score and make anything efficient happen in the center uh, in the forward 50. He basically, instead of trying to like shut down the center, he tries to shut down the switch and West coast doesn't really know how to handle that. Right. With their spacing and doesn't know how to get the ball out of their defensive 50, which then leads to pressure for Essendon, which is why the second quarter was their best quarter of that match. I thought. So it's. It's from a process perspective i can't get beyond anything other than saying that this is just much better um i'm not going to pretend to know some of the things you know in terms of what's happening with practice and with you know training and things like that i think it's very possible maybe that he's training them hard i think it's possible that uh there have been some lineup inclusions recently that are uh, not as defensively inclined in some ways, right. Mm. Or that uh, are still adjusting to the scheme in some ways and that change the mix of players, you know, at the center bounce or change the mix of players in the defensive 50. Right. So it, it's, you know, losing Jordan Ridley is enormous, obviously. So it, it, it it's just like hard for me to, it's hard for me to look at these seven games when I think it's more about the fact that like they've lost to good teams, as opposed to, they've had like a fundamental shift in like a style or anything like that. It's more that they just haven't beaten a finals team yet this year, to me.
2: Yeah, that that's true. And look, just I, I can't I, like when people were talking about the West Coast game, and I, and I watched it again. And Have I, you guys talked about it yet,
1: <laughs> like on the pod? <laughs> no, that's what this is today. <laughs> Technically, yeah, we did a, like a we did a, a po-
2: I did a post game reaction, and it was, wasn't easy. Uh, but it's funny how you, your mind shapes when you rewatch it again, and and because so you you just understand what's going to happen, and and you so you look for different areas, and 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 like it even just dawned on me just in some plays, and you go, I see in the last quarter, I see you know Davey and Brian and Cox and Sardis getting involved, yeah. and I'm going. Oh, that's right! Like three weeks ago, this is four players that weren't <laughs> playing for us, and none of them have played thirty games. And yeah. and you know you know whether Drake Stringer was injured or not. If you're a fit, Drake Stringer leaving the side, and a and a fit Jordan Ridley leaving the side, and a Sam Draper. Let's you know halfback critical role. Ridley's our is our quarterback. Draper is our whole energy ball in the middle of the ground, and Stringer is by talent alone is the most talented forward um, probably on the park. I know you could argue right and that, but one's a little bit more heightened. But as far as just pure talent and, and when he's fully fit. Um, well, he's,
1: he's a game breaker. He can go into the middle. He's yeah, a yeah. Guy that will kick important goals. I understand what you're so, saying.
2: Yeah, so replacing them with, with very inexperienced people. Um, I do have to get my head around. I'm like, okay, just seeing, just seeing the stat of like there was ten players that played for us that have played fifty nine games or less. That's ten, and you're like, and I know West Coast had ten as well. But then the you know when you have that Jack Darling and 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 Gaff and very experienced players, it, both teams actually went to the game quite inexperienced and quite level in a weird way of where the players on the park were as far as experience and age. So you, you do have to factor that in that, you know, I can see some plays in the third quarter where zones were completely broke down, but then you, you look at this, you look at, you look at the replay of it and you can see is that, that looks like actually a bit of an experience there. Like just a change over disguise that Scotty has to coach over the next couple of seasons, get it ingrained. So there, there is an element there of understanding we're very much a work in progress. Um, obviously, Scott came on board in November, and me myself, I was, I was, I was at that game. I was gutted, even with the win. I don't know it sounds funny, but I was like, <laughs> I just went away going, that sucked. Uh, <laughs> uh, but and then you know, the more my my brain sort of like computes what has happened. Look at the look at everything in totality. Look at who's playing on the park. Um, I can then dissect things a bit more reasonably and, and go, okay, um, you know, d- do I like Kelly on a wing? No, I don't. But I've been upset at a worse fold and rotten for not trying things and not, uh, not yeah. seeing what he can get out of his list. So do I have to have that f- – in my head as well, that at least I've got a coach that's going to try something. He's going to say, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But he, he's, going to, he's going to work out by the end of the year what he's got as far as list management. And I hope in October that then reshapes how we draft, how we trade and fill in some holes.
1: Grant I mean this is your show I will re-slang <laughs> you did. to talk about the West Coast game It's
0: 20 minutes <laughs> in so, and
2: Grant hasn't spoken yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mate when we uh when Scotty gets on a roll like that I just send him a message going Mate, there's probably a question or two more that we could ask Sam to come on, as opposed to telling Sam what we think has happened over the last five or so rounds. No no, no, no,
1: no, no. I, I think it's I think it's important to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Like the the context is important. Oh,
2: look, look and what? just before I pry like I know Sam's guest, but I approached it to him as him being a third host of the show. So, um, and just oh. having just enjoying the com- and yeah. just having conversation with us. Um, oh no, mate, I just I
0: completely understand. You but know, yes, understand. but
2: I waffled on way too long, so I do admit that. <laughs> That's all
1: right. That's all right. But no, I, honestly, yeah, I just think it's good for Grant to get a chance to talk about what he thought of the West Coast game because I'm sure people were interested.
0: The West Coast game, I think, is another version, and one of the one of the things that I wanted to sort of talk to you about is with professional athletes, and this may may uh, sort of trans- transition to the NBA or professional basketball in general. When a team, actually, two questions. Does do NBA teams have habits like bad habits as a team? Like they don't, I don't know, they don't pass enough. They take early shots. Totally. They like okay. So if there's a, if there are teams that have these learned bad habits or accumulated bad habits as a team, right? I think Essendon's learned or accumulated bad habit is kicking into the forward line. Our, our forward yeah. uh, forward fifty entry. Is statistically bad, so I think there's enough stats there to actually prove that it ain't real special. But I don't understand why. The team's like, bad
1: too. I mean, we we yeah. watch the we watch the games, they're it's and bad.
0: <laughs> why do they continue to do it? Like, I understand if you're if you slip into a bad habit because it's yeah. comfy and you know how to do it, but then halfway through the next time out in an NBA game, the coach is gonna go, Oi, rebound, right? Get yourself back at you gotta get the rebounds, you got the and they often they make adjustments quickly like that, right? I find in the Essendon Footy Club, we just continue to kick these big 30 to 40-meter long looping balls inside 50, and the defenders Mm -hmm. are just watching it come in over the three or four seconds it takes to get there, and they're just smashing Peter Wright, who's got to go up against two and three blokes. So I'd, I'd love to understand why you think that is the case, that week after week we continue to do it.
1: I often think of it as like a feel for the game kind of thing, like an understanding of uh, the amount of time that you have maybe to make decisions, like to compare it to basketball. Like I'll, I'll use someone that people are probably familiar with, like Nicole Jokic, when Nikola Jokic has the ball, it feels like he has more time than everybody else on the court. When Scott Pendleberry has the ball for Collingwood, It feels like Scott Pendleberry has more time than everybody else when they have the ball. Right. To me, it's like a football IQ thing, a basketball IQ thing. And these are, I think, learned accumulated habits over the course of many, many years. Now that's not to say that you can't improve them. I think that Zach Merritt particularly is somebody that I think has improved a lot in terms of his entry into the forward 50, uh, but guys like Andrew McGrath and Darcy Parrish I think have not improved in that regard and I think they you know need to continue to get better at it and I think there's a chance that they could but it's it's a little bit harder than that I guess and it's a little bit concerning maybe that we do see the adjustment from somebody like Zach Merritt that has been within these schemes for years upon years upon years yeah uh and has made Adjustments. I'm not saying Zach is perfect in this regard. I'm sure he would not say he's perfect in this regard. Uh, I think he ended up with like a few turnovers, maybe like, you know, five or six turnovers in the game against West Coast. But at the same token, the level of improvement, I think, has been real. And I haven't personally seen that from somebody, you know, to call out two names uh, that are among the higher paid players on the list, certainly. Uh, McGraw and Parrish, I think, haven't necessarily done that. So Yeah. But at the same, you know, same token again, like I think that some of the younger guys that have come through, like, I think Archie Perkins is really good at finding that. Like, I think he has a very, and also I think part of it is like maybe creativity as well. It's hard for me to know with football necessarily. I think in basketball, there is a piece of it that is like just true creativity. Right. And true, like, you know, differences in athleticism or like balance or you know control over your body in some ways um you know darcy parish i think is like we'll talk about parish maybe a little bit later when we talk about like list management but like that guy's like one of the most interesting athletes i think i've seen just in terms of like what i think he's really good at athletically and what i think he struggles with athletically and like how that bears itself out um but like i, I think some of the younger guys are quite good at it i would say like i think that I think Caldwell's shown flashes with being good at it. I think that I think there are a number like Nick, Nick Martin certainly has shown flashes of being very good at it. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's, it's improving and I'm sure that Brad Scott plays a significant role in this, but it's the thing that drives me crazy along with the forward line structures. Like my wife, Laura uh, will talk about this constantly throughout games where it just feels like we have, it feels like, We have less space for our forwards than everybody else because guys aren't shooting off in different directions and finding spacing. Like spacing in the NBA is so important. Um, Being able to find uh, one-on-one matchups, being able to find mismatches, right? It feels like Essendon's forward line doesn't do the best job of spacing well throughout the forward 50 and like creating those one-on-one opportunities.
2: Yeah, has it surprised you how quick Cole Langford <laughs> has come on as a forward? Because he's seventh in the Coleman Medal, like it's, yeah. and he's and he's top six in goal assists in the AFL. So it's not just a good year; he's having close to a close to an All Australian type year. Oh, he,
1: he should be in the All Australian squad.
2: Like no questions asked. Like I don't know if you should make like the
1: final twenty three. But, I mean, undeniably, he should be in the squad. What I would say about Kyle Langford is, I was talking, again, to my wife about this um, over the weekend. One thing I said to her was, you know what, like, obviously it's a surprise that he's this good at this this fast. But every time, like, that he's gone forward, like, in the third and fourth quarter of games, Mm. I've always felt like he's been pretty good at it. Like, he has, like, an innate sense of, where to like take a lead to he has an incredibly consistent straight uh kicking mechanic yeah it
2: does like
1: is extremely reliable um the answer i think has to be yes that you'd be surprised because he just never done it before but also no like no his glimpses have been
2: so so positive forward that. It's more, more, why haven't we played in this role three years earlier? Which is a
1: recurring theme with the Essendon Football Club, uh, with their players. Like, you know, finding the best role for Darcy Parrish was a hassle for his first four years, when in reality he's just always been a central midfielder coming out of Geelong Falcons, right? Like, Mm. you you know, it's... I often wonder how many careers those six years under Worsfold and Rotten may have doomed uh, <laughs> by not playing players in positions that were best for them.
0: You, you kind of uh, speak in music to my ears there, uh, Sam, because <laughs> I I have many a heated debate with our uh, our best listeners in the entire world um, about the likes of a of a BZT down back and uh, like the the list management now I understand look could we have a better list absolutely right we could find um Paddy Cripps and we can get Bond and we could have a great list absolutely but seriously the the list manage so the list development um over the last six years and even before that maybe I think has been a significant contributing factor to exactly what you yeah. just said Darcy Darcy Parish was played at a half forward flank which apparently nowadays is the way you ease a young footballer in, right? Like you bring Sardis in, you put him in the half-forward flank so he doesn't get folded in half by big, strong, mature midfielders, but then you move him into the midfield. Now, Darcy played three years um, as a high half-forward when he would get 10 possessions and, and not do much, right? You put him in the middle and he's averaging 30s. Andy McGrath throughout his entire career and the reason why he was picked at number one was a yeah. small, shutdown down half-back and he did it incredibly well throughout his junior career. And then we put him in the midfield for two or three years. And we wonder why it didn't work. Now, Brad Scott came out at the start of the season and said, everybody's playing in the position they should be playing at. right? Like You bring Setterfield in from Carlton. They didn't have a spot for him. They tried to make him a halfback. It didn't work. You bring Setterfield in, put him in the midfield, look out. He plays really well. I think that that, and I think you're right, the, the worst fold um, truck error really didn't develop the players well enough because Langford should have been playing at in the forward line. If they were talented enough, they would have known that Langford should have been a forward way back at the beginning of worse Werf- worsefold. But I just think now we're starting to see excuse me, um McGrath going back and Scott saying that where they're going to play. I, I think everybody, and I'd, I'd love to understand your, your opinion on whether or not we should wait or whether or not we should start to demand results, i.e. next year, that Brad Scott's come in, he's putting players where they should be playing, we're getting results out of them. Do we wait two or three years, or is it or is it time for, with all the work that those players have done up until now, that we should be getting better success now?
1: I, I still don't see the talent on the list at the key positions to be competing at this point i think that they are probably a couple years away from that uh competing at the highest level of the competition is that bringing players in we need to still bring players in
0: or do we think we need to develop what we've got
1: Uh, I think more. I think they need to bring players in. I think they need more game-breaking talents. Like I I really like Archie Perkins quite a bit in terms of his long-term potential as somebody that can be like a real difference maker across uh, the midfield, across you know half forward. Like I think you could do a lot of different things with Archie Perkins athletically. I think Elijah Sadas looks phenomenal, Mm. um, just in the way that he his one thing I always look for is the ability to play at full speed and still maintain like your processing and creativity. And I think he can do that based off of okay. like what I've seen from him. Um, Even just in that first game, like it looked like his ability to play at real speed and still understand what he was doing was very real for a teenager. Right. Um it, it, But like beyond those guys, like, I think Kyle Langford's had a great year and he should continue to be a forward. I think Peter Wright had a great year last year, should continue to be in the forward line. I- I'm incredibly worried about the defensive group. Uh, I I still don't think they have an answer there. You know, maybe Ben McKay is that answer, you know, if they sign him in the off season, I think that'd be a substantial help, but I think they're missing small forwards uh, that can consistently impact the uh impact the scoreboard I think they're missing midfielders that can consistently impact the scoreboard uh you know even you know maybe as Nick Martin matures he can do that you mm-hmm. know Archie Perkins I just said I think as he matures has a chance to do that uh you know maybe sawdus uh, I don't know enough about what his goal scoring was like at younger levels but you know maybe he can do that in that way uh you know I, but some of the some of the guys on the list currently like I don't think Darcy Parrish is going to become like a goal scorer Anytime soon,
2: uh, Zach, Zach
1: Merritt's not going to become a goal scorer. That's not what his job is. Dylan Shield. Um, some of the highest paid players on the list are not gonna not gonna become that. And I, I guess I'm a little bit, you know, may, maybe we'll save this for the team management and like list management section. We want to do a little bit later. But I, I'm I have some small concerns about maybe like being a little bit between two eras and like not deciding on a direction. Like it feels like they wanna compete maybe as soon as next year, but like, I don't know if they have the talent yet to do it. And I worry that that would get them back in a cycle that has resulted in X number of years of not making finals. Uh-huh. Let's- Or not winning a final.
2: Let's quickly, uh, what we'll do is we'll quickly go to a, a very quick music break. Uh, we'll come back and we might even talk about how. What, where we see list management, how we see the list shaping, and and how we see the off season, uh, coming about. So look, we'll, we'll um, we'll do a quick thirty second break, and we'll be back right after that.
0: Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up podcast. Now then, list management, Sam. Can we kick it off the top with a controversial one? We had him gone at the start of the season. Uh, in uh, And he. I think he's personally turned it around for another season, at least uh, with some good veteran leadership in Dyson Heppel. Where do you see him at? I
1: think he's been great. I think I that, A... I can't say enough positive things about Zach Merritt this year, first and foremost, like we're talking about like Dyson Heppel handing off the captaincy. I mean, I I feel like I've been coming on this show for two or three years now talking about that being the guy that I want to be the captain of the football club. Very
2: true. You have been consistent in that message.
1: Uh, 100%. Because he leads by example. He's consistent. He's reliable. He is willing to be vocal in the moments where it seems like he has to be vocal, be that positively or negatively. I have, I have an immense amount of respect for Zach Merritt. And speaking of the trickle down effect of that, I think that allowing Merritt to take that on his shoulders has opened up the world a little bit for Dyson Heppel to not have to worry about things as much. And I think that's been critical for him. Uh, he's been phenomenal. He's what got like twelve straight games or whatever of twenty plus possessions. Like he's mm. been terrific. He's truly been terrific. I think this year.
2: And and it, I I genuinely feel like his foot is finally healed, which has allowed him just a little bit of an extra step than he previously had in the other yeah. years. I feel like he's running across the ground the best he has for probably three he, four years.
1: He should be a top ten like Creighton medalist. Oh, easily. Right. For now. me, he's like for me he's probably undeniably. seventh or sixth yeah yeah no a hundred percent like i was trying to think of like how many guys i would have ahead of them like definitely Merritt. definitely langford Uh, i mean like nick martin and mason redmond would probably be in the mix somewhere there like jordan ridley certainly would be in the mix somewhere there i think caldwell's had a pretty good year as well like you Mm. can you can come through and come up with names but he's right in that like you know five to ten
2: mix for sure when you when you talked about one topic that's always been debated on here and um, and you mentioned about the defensive group. Now, I think BCT is a very good player. So I, I actually don't mind the idea of Ben McKay, this is myself, but the reason why yeah. I like the idea is not because Zerk is then removed. I actually like the idea of Zerk then next to him and Laverde, yeah. who used to be a, a mid-slash running half back, plays actually the role – he originally played, if he plays, that's if he plays, but at least plays a role that is to his size because he's he's undersized with the guys that he gets at the moment and sometimes at the moment he's getting caught out. Um, but I like the idea actually of Mackay and BZT as our two pillars back because I looked at someone someone tweeted the stats of Laverde and BZT this year and and BCT kills it. Like it's just it clearly has gone past him for me.
1: Well, you you look at how many forward structures have multiple bigs, right? Like multiple enormous humans. Carlton has Charlie Curnow and Harry Mackay uh Geelong has Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins we'll see if Hawkins goes on right Brisbane has multiple guys like Joe Danaher and Eric Hipwood. frankly probably needs one Tom Lynch and Jack Rewalt we'll see if Rewalt goes on Oscar Allen and Jack Darling are big enormous people for West Coast like most teams play two key forwards where you need two key defenders like mm. look I-, I think you know BZT has certainly been up and down throughout the course of the year. Like, I mean, goodness, I was at the Geelong game where Tom Hawkins just, you know, frankly obliterated him. But I thought the game against West coast was probably the best game I've seen him play. Uh, He's still really developing in terms of how to dispose of the ball uh, in Mm -hmm. a safe yet also attacking manner. Mm -hmm. And I felt like he had a couple of, somewhat aggressive kicks in that game i felt like he had a couple of uh really sharp handballs in that game to get the attack going and getting out of the defensive 50 uh i would not want to get rid of him uh i I was as skeptical as anybody about him and i I would not want to get rid of him i would continue to develop him for sure yeah so the
0: the the big the big huge defender like the ben mckay thing to sort of to talk about scotty's point because i it's an area i I love bzt I, i think he's improved 200% 200% on what he is. Yeah. He he wears his heart on his sleeve. He runs into packs. He does all of those things. He's back in the day. There, there used to be a defender like Danny Foley and those guys who described themselves as just a, they're there to just punch. They're not there to be flashy. They're not there to sort of, duck and weave when they get the ball and be elusive. What they're there to do is just be behind the offensive guy, punch the ball, spoil the ball, bring it to ground, and just generally stop the opposition forward from kicking goals, right? BZT used to be just like that. He just used to throw himself at packs, spoil the ball as best he possibly could, and then pick himself up. I think he's actually got a game now where he's starting to make better decisions. And to illustrate what Scotty was saying do you think it would benefit for him to not have that number one monster, the Charlie Dixons, the Hawkins, and that kind of go? Leave that to a fellow enormous dude in Mackay. And then do you think it would benefit to have Mackay and Ridley taking the second and third best defenders, uh, best offensive guys?
1: You know, I don't know enough about like Brandon Zerk Thatcher as a person. Like, is he... Someone that is, you know, really tries to rise to the occasion. Like, is he someone that like doesn't get discouraged when Tom Hawkins drills him for like eight goals and in fact like wants to keep going? Or is he somebody that would benefit more from you know taking a step step down in competition? I I think that it's you know, I I guess I don't know enough about the human involved to know what the best answer for that is, but I I think that it it would help the team. To have another key defender that okay. is probably a little bit better than him right now uh that is capable of taking on those tough matchups yeah
2: okay no uh look i i i think uh yeah i, I think ben mckay would be a, a very much a welcome addition to give us a bit more of a wall um and and look this this is the one that's going to be debated for all, for all times but i'm 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 still not sure Verde's position in this team moving forward. I'm still I'm still assessing that because I think he's statistically still in the something like the bottom ten in one one on ones, maybe in bottom five. Uh, and when I watch the VFL, I see a guy called Kane Baldwin, and and body on body, um, just being able to handle guys at a 21 year old frame, big boy. Unbelievable hands, marks at one grab mark. You can just judge it. I mean, on the weekend he had twenty-eight and twenty-eight possessions, twelve marks, and he's continually just in the top three in the VFL. I, for me, I'm like, let's just see what this guy can do for a month. Like, what happens if this guy really comes on? He was, he, yeah. uh, But that's just that's just me. I think there's some talent there in the back. That's one area I think actually there's talent there. There's uh, there's an eighteen year old guy called Lewis Hayes who we drafted end of last year, center half back. Zach Reed, we all hope gets better. Um, But you have to, you have to assess where he's been and and not make, and it can't be a guarantee. You have to, you have to as a club be wary of, of where his body's been breaking down. But, but there is areas to go, look, there's some talent there. Just, uh, I'd like to actually see it infiltrated sometimes into the senior group.
1: One thing that is always a little bit weird to me about like, just Australian football clubs in general, it feels like is it does feel like there is like a real incumbency effect where once somebody gets a job, uh, teams and list managers are a little bit reticent to take it from him. If he mm. doesn't perform. Um, I think Jaden Laverde like fights his ass off and like battles Every single game yeah. and is overmatched in a lot of matchups. And I would love to see him as like a mid sized defender yeah. as opposed to what he's tasked to do. And I think that it'd be interesting to see it, but it does come down to like salary cap allocation to me. It comes down to like how much is he going to ask for? What is somebody else going to offer him? Like uh, the tool, like Brandon Zerk Thatcher's tools are undeniably better than. Jaden Laverde's for, like, what the role is that he's being asked to play, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, Laverde's ball skills are better. And, you know, he, you know, like you said, like, he comes from playing, like, more of a halfback and, like, you know, can occasionally move up to the wing and everything. But uh, to be, like, a key defender, you need to be big. <laughs> Jaden is not big, unfortunately. Hmm. Scraps his ass off. But, like, it's... It, I would love to see him in a different role. Yeah. I would, but I just don't – I don't see it for him as a key defender at this point.
2: Can I ask on the other end, um, and we'll go to the midfield as well because I know you want to speak it, but just on the other end, yeah, you and I share the same concern, and you could see Brad Scott after that West Coast game He kind of mentioned it by by not – but without mentioning it too much as in specific names, but he obviously was not happy with his small forward group about how the Mm -hmm. ball was coming out of that back line. And he's been rotating guys through that small small forward and I don't think he can find a mix yet that he's happy with that's doing the role that he wants them to do, which is maximum pressure and keep that ball inside the forward 50 for a longer period. Um, so that's an area um, for me is like, they're going to have to have a look at because they're not getting the production. I think they hoped out of the Guelphies and the Snellings and those kind of guys.
1: Well, look, it's not an accident that I can't remember if it was last off season or the off season before they tried to sign Bobby Hill right? And you look at what Bobby Hill's doing right now. He plays every game for Collingwood. He has like, what, like 25 goals, something like that. And has been really good for them. So this has been an issue that has plagued the club now for a long time. And they tried to fill it. I think this past off season, certainly with the Davies and with uh Jai Menzi and it's just going to take those guys time like Alwyn Davey is not ready to play FL football at this point uh he's it's okay he's skinny and you can see the ball skill like the like hunt the ball like talent that he has he's just not ready yet physically and it's fine and like he's, he's and his brother
2: and... is a natural small forward where Alwyn isn't that's just reality wait
1: what what is Alwyn if he's not a natural small forward so
2: Alwyn likes to play up the ground high half mm. forward Almost okay. runs That's up through me. the almost midfield. Onto a wing. So almost to up to, to a wing. He, yeah. he likes space and, and Jaden Davy likes small forward crumbing.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: But but with his injury, obviously he hasn't he's he obviously he's, he's over his injury now, he'll he'll do a full preseason, but he's got a lot of catching up to do as far as games he's that he's missed. So well he's missed
1: like two years or whatever. Yeah, right? so you
2: you're yeah. not gonna get much next year. You get but you just hope he plays most of your fill and starts to learn the craft again.
1: Well, and look, like they, you know, end up with Jai Menzi in the mid-season draft and Menzi has 20 goals this year. I think he's really the one that like I feel good about yep. at this point, yep. like moving forward. Um but they, they still have to answer this question. Uh, I think that it, it's it's the thing that they need to figure out. Like they've tried Nick Hind there at times, like it's I think the is much better as a, you know, running halfback. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Guelphie. I, I love Matt Guelphie. That dude is just an absolute dude in terms of a pressure forward. And I'm good with like one of those guys in the lineup. I think he's mm. valuable as a defensive pressure forward. Like every team I think needs one of those guys. Oh. They just, you know, you need multiple small forward goal kickers at this point. Yeah. And they, they just don't. I, he, I don't think they have that yet.
2: He may be tempted. Like, this is the week he may be tempted to play Tex Wanganin. Tex Wanganin kicked four yeah. Uh, yeah. in the VFL. <laughs> um, the fitter he's got, because people may not understand, he had a foot operation, so missed a lot of the preseason. So he's had he's one of those players that's had to play catch-up on fitness as the years got on. But as the year gone on, his, his performance has just increasingly got better and better and better. And now he's starting to score goals as well. Um, so he may be... At that point now, where Scott's like, well, now we've got him to the point where he's really performing well. So let's let's have a look at him.
1: Yeah, and it look like I, I probably like denigrated Mac Gwelfy. Like Mac Guelphie, you know, has you know twenty goals or whatever this year. But his his role is going to be the defensive pressure guy. It's the and defensive I think he under, Yeah, yeah. I think he embraces that role. Like he's he he's one of the guys that like knows who he is and attacks it. So I I I love Guelphie. It's just like. You know, they need they need to figure out some answers, I think, in the forward line in terms of small forwards and pressure forwards. And I
0: think it's an interesting one for the likes of Wanganine and Davey. And and like you said, I, I agree. I think Davey's quick. He's he's super fast and he's got skills. And I think he's going to be an okay footballer um, when he, when he's in the team proper, right? But with the way the ball's been put into our forward 50 at the moment, we're not, unless we're kicking it to Langford, who's one-on-one often, Leading out from the square like the good old fashioned forwards used to, taking marks in front of his eyes and and generally yeah. being a good forward. Right, if the ball's coming in as often it is as it is bombing long into right, who invariably at the moment is just making contests. He's yeah. crashing packs and the balls invariably hitting the ground after that. That's the part I'm not I'm I don't understand why the our the Davies of the world, or you bring in a Wanganina or a Waller or something like that to be at the bottom of that pack. Because if we were hitting, if we had a dominant right leading from, uh, from the square and a dominant Langford going in the opposite direction and a dominant stringer going in the other direction, then there would be much less requirement for a, a crumbing forward because that they'd be taking marks out in front of their eyes. But the, the way we're going in at the moment screams for a small forward to be at the bottom of that pack, to shark a ball, take it out of the pack real fast, take two or three steps and screw it around the corner. So I, I'm with Scott on this. I hope Wanganin gets a game because, and this is one of the things that we're frustrating as, uh, the, us at the podcast for uh, for the last sort of dozen games or so, is that there's <clears throat> there's players that are really performing in the roles that we need, i.e. Patrick Voss kicking a heap of goals when Wiedemann couldn't get it done. Wanganin's kicking goals and we keep picking Davey. So it's, it's just a bit confusing at the moment. So I think I agree with what you're saying, Sam, that the small forward part is when you say it quickly, it doesn't sound like it's important, but it is really important to the success of our club especially.
1: Well, and the other thing is that's really interesting about it too is like you go and you watch those Richmond teams, for instance, like that one, three and four, if I remember oh. correctly. Uh they had a lot of small forwards that were fantastic, but they weren't just great at crumbing. Yeah, they put a ton of ball, you know, up to Jack Rewalt. Jack Rewalt would either mark it or bring it to ground, and they'd have guys buzzing around and trying to make things happen, but they'd also have, you know, small forwards that would take leads, like Jason Castenia yeah. would mm. take leads and yeah. try and get to you know, the 25, 30 meters out from goal area. And I, I feel like our small forwards rarely do that. And to me, that has to be like, I don't, I'm not going to say it has to be, but like, it it almost seems like structure structural to me uh, and scheme wise to me. I'm not going to pretend to know that for a fact, but I've just been watching it for long enough now to where it feels like it has to be on some level. Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I agree. (laughs) Look, um, coming onto the last section of the ground, this is one we debate all the time. Um, uh, I've always had a concern and I, uh, about our midfield mix. It's just always been something I've preached and I've always had a concern. Now, a lot of that is being addressed with Archie and and and, and some of my concerns uh, a little bit are being addressed. Um, but how are you seeing the midfield mix yourself? um and then and then how that would lead into the trade and draft period
1: i'd love to see it the last three weeks with centerfield again i I think that's like a really big evaluation piece here in terms of how it works and you know obviously losing stringer as well as a big body that they would put through the midfield as well Mm -hmm. they they have not been very big through the center of the ground over the last few weeks which is a, a problem uh for the club in terms of why they've struggled i think even beyond losing draper uh with injury in terms of center bounces
2: i mean Drape is physical too though he he gets four or five clearances oh, as totally. well yeah
1: yeah 100 percent. so it's it's a i don't think the midfield mix has been right this year because the injuries have made it difficult for the midfield mix to be right over the last you know second ha- or last third of the season maybe the last seven weeks or whatever the question is like, are you good enough to invest the resources financially that you would have to, to retain some of these guys? Right. That, that That's what it comes down to with Dar- like Darcy Parish is the name we're talking about here. Let's just like, not yep. let's yeah. not sugarcoat this. Right. The club has to make like a substantial decision on how much money it is going to give to Darcy Parish next year. And, I am personally a little bit skeptical of paying him substantial amounts of money. I think he's really good football player. Like he is one of the best player at players at getting the ball in the contest that you will find in the AFL. Uh, He is unbelievable at seeing the ball and getting the ball. And maybe this is where I kind of wanted to talk about him athletically because like his short area movement skills are some of the best, like that I've seen watching football like over the, however long I've been watching football now, almost coming up on a decade, like he is so shifty through his hips and so like, so able to stop and start like on a dime in short areas that it makes him so, so impactful as a guy who can get the ball in a contest. He seems to read the ball well. He seems to like go find the ball at a really high clip. Look, he's like second in the AFL in disposals per game or whatever, right? What? Like he's unbelievable at getting the ball. I would not want to expend $800,000, $900,000, whatever the cost is going to be to Darcy Parrish, having a fifth place in the Brownlow, everything like that. Given his distribution skills and how I don't think he quite impacts the scoreboard in the way that I would like to see on top of being somebody that I think breaks down a decent amount defensively. uh, He had a great moment at the end of the West coast game defensively where he got the ball like in that contest and kicked the ball forward. I think to a contest that ended up with Ball being brought to brought to ground, Menzi picking it up, handballing it over the top to Langford. Like mm-hmm. that was all started by Darcy Parrish, and then Parrish was a killer in that last center bounce as well. Like he mm-hmm. he closed the game and like won them the game in like a real yep. way against West Coast. He also is inaccurate, is a disposer of the ball. Uh he has a 68% disposal efficiency this year. That is like worst on the team second worst among the team among the midfielders and i I think it's just really hard to win that way he he is the prime issue in terms of putting the ball just on his foot and praying it feels like like uh, i'm just gonna boot it deep and go yeah and and that's
0: that's part of what i was talking about with the whole 30 60 to 70 meter a lot of those are darcy parish He gets the ball, he turns, he's got a meter. Great. Darcy's got the ball again. It's just awesome. You see him run out of a pack and you think, great. But then I'm really hoping that he just lowers his eyes and hits the guy at 50 or hits the guy out on a forward flank or something. But the hoik comes. I don't, I don't, sometimes I don't think he realizes how much time he does have, right? To take that extra step. I'd almost like him to get run down. If you get run down, Darcy, uh, not good mate but if you get run down so, at, at least you were taking that extra step to try and wait to see which way kyle langford was going to go and then yeah because that extra step you've you've you got run down right but i'd rather him take an extra step and put the ball somewhere good as opposed to take the two steps gotta
1: go gotta hoik it in and this is where the athleticism piece i think is so fascinating he is not fast over long distances like comparatively to other midfielders. Like you watch him try and track back defensively, like off the ball, like guys will kind of blow by him like pretty regularly. And then as he's trying to like dribble with the ball, like he doesn't have that long area, like speed. He has great, unbelievable short area quickness. He has great Uh hands. Like Mm. all of that stands out immensely, but that lack of speed, I think is a real killer for him defensively. Like, it's it's he's the he's one of the most interesting football players I've gotten a chance to watch. And like I I have so much respect for his skill set and like I hope he gets paid by somebody is somebody who wants the Essendon Football Club to like be really good. I'm still just like I don't know how sold I am on it, I guess. Like I, I don't I don't know how sold I am on how much he impacts the scoreboard offensively, and I don't I'm definitely not sold on like him impacting the defensive midfield in any way, shape or form
2: to your, so it, to your background, just on, on trades and drafts and lots of stuff. Yeah. Do you find it intriguing with Darcy that six weeks ago, he was on national news saying that he basically wants to come to us, sign with us. Uh, and then there's kind of just been this six week, of nothing like like redmond's been signed so
1: you're asking me to read the read the afl media tea leaves a little bit well well yeah i mean there's obviously been Look, i would i would imagine the way that that works is like i mean look the way it works in the u.s maybe it doesn't work that way here uh if he was on the news and stuff i didn't see that or anything so this is total speculation on my part um i would imagine that like that was set up by his representation probably right mm-hmm. so like you know hit the hit the Circuits a little bit. Yeah. Let a few people
2: know. Yep. Yeah. There's just been, I guess there's been rumorings and, and, you know, from fairly good qualified people to say that there's a little, that both parties want parish wants to stay. Essendon want to keep him, but the Essendon um, deal (laughs) may not be over as flattering to the, to the, to the parish camp. And when there's that little bit of, to and fro. Yeah.
1: And again, like when you have somebody who is as uh individually feted as Darcy Parrish is, I get that from his camp. Like if I was his representation, I'd be asking for you know nine hundred thousand dollars and saying I'm the best player on your team. He's all Australian you know, like two years ago, I'm yeah. yeah Australian, yeah. I was top five in Brownlow, like of course, why wouldn't you pay me? Right. And he has every right to ask for it. I think it's just that I I don't know that I would want to be the one to pay it, I guess. Like, I I think it's completely reasonable for him to ask it. Mm. I just don't, I don't know how impactful he is on the I know how impactful he is statistically. I don't know how impactful he is on the holistic idea of winning football yet, I guess. And for such an expenditure that you'd have to make, it's it feels concerning to me. I
0: so guess. looking on that looking on that other side of the of the card then for Darcy, not that we want Darcy to go anywhere and when and we're just speculating, like you said, but is there enough of an argument? towards the, like you said, he's not, in fact, pin-packful on the scoreboard, he is wasteful with the ball, those sort of things. Is there, could you mount an argument to say that, sure, 30 possessions, All-Australian, five fifth in the Browner, that's all good things, but if we package Darcy up and said, okay, Darcy, we're not going to, and we're going to let you go, if we packaged him up, could we get something decent for him, being yeah. a, a a conscientious sort of subjective person, Sam, would you let him
1: go? It's what I would do. I think. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I'd be right to do it, but it's probably look, I, I don't think the jury's out on, like, I think jury is still out on what Darcy Parish is, is a player, which is like somewhat concerning when you have to pay him. Like, like that's, that's what worries me, right? Like he is this incredibly statistically valuable or oh. uh, statistically accomplished player. I don't know how much it impacts the win and loss column. yeah. And right. when you have to expend that much money, when you have real substantial needs in the key positions and you have all of the depth in your list is centered in the midfield, you can throw Jack Caldwell in there. Ben Hobbs can get more possessions in the midfield you, or at center bounces. Like you can throw in, I think Archie Perkins is going to be very good in the midfield. I think that, Elijah Sadas is going to be good in the midfield. Like all of your draft resources, not all of them, but a substantial portion, especially over the last couple of years in the first round have been drafting players that can theoretically act as replacements for Darcy Parrish. And you have real needs at the key positions to pay. Hmm. I, 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 I don't feel good about it. Like I, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying that like, I feel like this is a no brainer or anything. I, I think it's a hard decision. I, I just. Is it one of those ones that uh, GMs need to make? Like one of those tough
0: football decisions or professional sporting decisions that the GMs need to go listen, listeners or or supporters trust me on this one we 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 under, we looked at the left we looked at the right and we've made a decision it, it's it's yeah, going to be
1: one right. of those those hard ones to make how how unpopular would it be because i feel like he gets a lot of like it, it's real he cops, of, yeah, he, he cops a lot of he
2: cops a lot of social media but but that's yeah. i mean that's 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 fans. also not real life like yeah that's yeah, just yeah like
1: you know very active look, engaged look, people the, like the west,
2: like, the west coast the west coast game actually is a funny micro you know, you totally. You have yep. you have thirty possessions. You have thirteen in you know thirteen score involvements. You have nine clearances. Unbelievable contested footy. Six clangers. Eleven <laughs> eleven turnovers. You have this whole yeah. like this whole game is like represented all in those stats. And and I know you could argue, you know. It's realistically seven turnovers. If you when you judge some of those turnovers, you go some of them late in the game, you just needed to kick into sure, space yeah. to win your game. That's um, he,
1: he had too late where literally he just put the ball on the foot and like just to give like us time, yeah, yeah, just to give to us give time, time. Yeah, yeah, it was the right decision, yeah, yeah, yeah it's so actually he, the right decision, he should it's not, not a turnover, yeah, 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 should not get turnover like issues for those, yeah, those, I, were, the, those were the right decision.
2: Yeah, I, I love. It's interesting. I, I love to actually ask an AFL guy why they consider some turnovers because they considered. You know the Sardis kick to Guelphie, and, and Guelphie dropped yeah. the mark. Even that was classed as a turnover,
1: because for Guelphie or Sardis for Sardis. <laughs> yeah, it should be a Guelphie turnover. The yeah. NBA is good at that. The NBA is good at like if you drop a ball, it's your turnover. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's. Given the needs of the football clubs, if if the club was like in a position where it was contending and the club was in a position where they had answers at the key positions that I felt like were strong, I would say resign them and go. Like I, I think that you just gotta do it. But the club is not near winning a premiership right now, and I just don't know how close paying Darcy parish exorbitant amount exorbitant amount of money based on like AFL, you know, dollars uh, is something that helps the club. Like you can only expend so many resources on the midfield and then also not give those resources chances in the midfield. Mm. Right. Like, again, like that comes down to list management.
2: Who, who for you, if you had to name two or three untouchables or the most, you know, the, the players yeah. that, that influence Essendon the most, who who do you have on your list? Merit,
1: number one, unequivocally. Uh, mm-hmm. He's the guy. Like, from a leadership perspective, you know, all of it across the board. I would say Ridley uh, would be... Oh. If I'm being, like... if The guy that I think would have the most, like, quote-unquote, like, trade value league-wide, I think would probably be Ridley. I guess is like a key defender. His He's age. like an all-Australian yeah, yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's young. Like I, I think it'd probably be Ridley, and then I think it'd probably be Draper. I mm. think those are probably the two that like teams around the league would go, "Oh shit, this guy's available. We got to go get him. Mm. Like mm. we we got to do whatever it takes to go get those guys."
2: Yep. But, like, probably, like, yeah, but probably and probably coming up from behind is probably a twenty-one-year-old Nick Martin. He's coming up yeah, fast. Yeah,
1: and frankly, like I think sados would be up there i think archie perkins would be up there like the younger guys that are i think those are the most valuable players in the list
2: Mm.
0: well man the last just a a quick question the last three games of the year how how do you see us we got north this week which is again another sort of we should win um (laughs) sort of game then we've got a real tricky one against gws up there and then we've got a day costless (laughs) <laughs> now Collingwood on a Friday night at the G.
1: How, how many of those do you see as a win? P- probably one. <laughs> like I think they probably go one and two. I think. But so, look, yeah. I-, I think they could go three and zero, like under the right circumstances. Like you know, you beat North Melbourne because you should beat North Melbourne. Yeah. You catch a GWS team that is probably a little bit better than you, but you could reasonably win. That's probably like a. 35%, 40% chance to win that game. And then Collingwood, you know, has the minor premiership locked up and doesn't want to risk some of its guys in terms of injury. Give them a couple of weeks off before finals, you know, maybe under that circumstance, they could win. They've also played Collingwood really well the last couple of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like whatever that, you know, scheme clashes that makes that work. I think that there's a real, maybe that could happen. Like there, there's, if you squint, there's a case that you can make that they if win all squint, three. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah. Just, yeah. My my, my biggest know. fear is, is I really felt like when the Ridley injury happened, I was, that one was like, I remember telling Grant, that's a really big injury because I think in an area where, where, you know, probably need to get it a little bit better at, Ridley is the, Ridley is the constant. Ridley is the structure. Ridley is is so big. He's so his presence is so big. His calmness, um, how much he cleans up, so much uh, of footy coming in himself by just naturally intercepting his IQ. That injury for me was like a, a really big gut punch. I went. That's when I felt like. I think this year is going to be hard from here on because I think we're going to be a bit shaky defensively.
1: Yeah. I think that's hundred percent it. I mean, it, the, the Ridley injury really can't be overstated in terms of the impact it has on the structure as well. Like the, their ability to exit from defensive 50. He, he's everything in terms of what he is capable of defensively. Like, mm you know, losing like Michael Hurley, I thought was going to be like a substantial problem given how good he was at both taking on key defensive assignments and getting 28 disposals a game and just dominating uh, the exit from the defensive 50 and Ridley has completely taken that up already. It's, it's crazy how good he is for how young he is. He's another guy where i mentioned earlier, those guys that seem to have more time, they just have that extra second where they can get rid of the ball, even though it doesn't exist. Right. Mm. Uh, he has it. And, and like a lot of them are long, a lot of them are whatever, but like he's an incredibly accurate kick and he has that. The, the last guy that I think is interesting to bring up, like in terms of, I, I have no idea how you guys feel about Harrison Jones, but like he's out of contract as well. And I have no idea what to do with him.
2: Uh, honestly, he's, on the he's in part. the Zach Reed bucket uh, of, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if his body, yeah.
0: it's, it's Kenny's has body. Talent.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. He's got talent. I think he's sort of he played a few games where you could see the talent jumping in front of packs. He can present well. He's got good hands. Um, he's got a reasonable amount of size. But I I fear he could be left behind. I think um, there's nobody sort of beating down the door other than Patrick Voss, who clearly the club just either doesn't rate or just sees as VFL talent. But um, Wiedemann was supposed to come in and, and take his position, but he hasn't worked either. So I, I just fear that Harrison could get left behind if we, like you said, if we draft a key position or if we put some money, we've got apparently a big chunk of cash uh, in a war chest. Um, if we put some money into a decent center half forward, I think Harrison could be left behind, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I mean, it feels like a worry. Like, uh, you know, the, the other big one is Jai Menzi. Like, they have to get him under contract. I think. Mm. And he's like from Adelaide, I guess. So, you know, who knows? Right. In terms of, I, I have no idea if he wants to go home or not. I'm speculating. I, I, I hope he stays. I think he has a chance to be like a 30 goal a year, like small forward. Mm. It's just, you know,
2: well, he's a bit of a journey. He's, he's a contract. bit of a journeyman. Cause he was in, ta- he's actually a Tassie boy, played Tassie for a while, went to Adelaide for a couple of years or maybe a year or so. Then come to Victoria um. So I think I look. I hear he's he is very very well liked um awesome. at, at the club. Um. So it would be just us saying yes or no. I think he would want to stay for my. Oh, for the if
1: they if they said no to him, that'd be crazy. That would be mm. absolutely yeah. There's, there's clearly other players.
2: Yeah. There's clearly other players playing in the VFL and, and other that are are pretty obvious cuts. Yeah. That's just being blunt. I won't name them, but there's just. He's 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 leading for me the small forward at, at the moment like so there's yeah so he, he's he's um he's got a really good uh, perceived pressure feel about him uh, where yep. guys and can sense he's around and he's running around manically and and he's got that kind of yeah perceived pressure so I, I really like him for you know real proper first year I'm really liking his progress so yeah all right well. <laughs> mate I, I i can't thank you enough for coming on the show sam and uh you know it's always yeah, you know, it's always such an interesting chat um i love how you think about the game uh and uh yeah it's uh i'll be interested to see the feedback what people <laughs> think think of, think, of, think cuz yeah, uh, there's no, like <laughs> y- y- you're on tw- you're on twitter and i'm on twitter and that you know some of these topics we've mentioned the obvious one is the we see the thousands of posts and thousands the hot of button ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: like I, I, I'm not really on Essendon Twitter because I'm like, you know, I try and stay away. You've got from a full time now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's uh, I'm I'm intrigued to see how much of it comes through. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, mate, just before we go, also too, I'm going to make a prediction: Aussies to get a medal in the world uh, the world championships of basketball.
1: I think there's a real chance. I I truly think Mm -hmm. that this is the most talented team they have ever sent to an international competition. Yep. Uh, You know, like Josh Giddy is unbelievable. They're going to take Thiebel. it looks like. Josh Green's been really underrated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dyson Daniels, terrific basketball player as well. Uh, Patty Mills, obviously, is just a totally different, you know, player when he puts on the Australian jersey. Like, uh, it's... They have a very, very, very real chance, I think. Like, if they are... They're in the finals. Like I would not be blown away by that. Mm.
2: I think it's Smoky too. Um, for me, even though he's played in Europe, is actually Exum. Exum yeah. had Exum's had a great year, and uh, he's got, You can see in his body language the continuity, belief in himself. He definitely had talent. There was no doubt about it. Uh, and yep. he's he's. They're kind of, he's coming into the squad at a really nice time, full of confidence. Mm, he's the yeah. kind of guy that could actually just surprise a lot of people and go, oh, whoa, okay, this guy's really turned a corner. So. Uh, yeah. Um,
0: he got signed again, didn't he, by the NBA? He got, somebody picked him he, up? He's going
1: back, is Yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's yeah, signed with Dallas. Yeah. With Dallas. And, and okay, got cool. like some pretty real money to do so. They, they like committed to him. To, okay. he's he, he talent wise he's a genuine nba player it's just like his body didn't really hold up uh early in his career to allow him to get the kind of reps that were necessary for him to the, the thing i talk about like i literally said a whole two-hour podcast on this today was this idea of it's not that guys don't improve once they get to the nba it's the ability to improve at a rate greater than those around you mm-hmm. right yeah. Um, and because of the injuries, he just didn't have that opportunity, uh, coming into the NBA as young as he did. And he, he needed so, so much work when he was younger, but he's finally gotten that chance to develop and grow into his skill set and grow into his frame. He he was absolutely phenomenal this year in Europe. He, he was really, really good.
2: Yeah. Can, la, one last question, which I know you'll like anyway, what's your wrap up of the two, two Ashes? I know you're an Ashes man. I know you love <laughs> your cricket. Ah, yeah. he's an Ashes man. And, okay. and, I, and I know yeah. that I know the headband is your favorite uh, for England. But oh. uh, h- how did you see that whole series? I, I truly, uh,
1: I, I I know this is sacrilege, but I, I love watching Stuart Broad bowl. I do. He's just the way he thinks through things. Like he he talks shit like he's an American. It's the best. Like yeah. it, it's so cool. Um, huge no, huge I, IQ I mean, though
2: when he's bowling he knows, oh, yeah. he knows what he's doing
1: the way he's like moving the ball around like the way he's setting up batters it, it's really really impressive um, what did I think yeah I mean I, I think that England probably was the better team but ultimately incredibly poor lineup decisions in the first two tests uh, set them back like you don't play Wooden Wokes It's completely it was so weird to me like I was DMing with somebody who is, you know, a broadcaster of like the cricket and a big basketball fan. And I was just kind of talking to him and I was like, wait, this seems like even going into the third test. I was like, this seems like it's going to be like the one because like Wooden Wokes, this seems like their best unit here. Uh, And, you know, it ended up kind of being that way. It's disappointing, obviously, that it was a draw, but they retained the ashes. So whatever. It's that's the important <laughs> so what
2: thing. Is basically <laughs> <ended> it? <laughs>
1: like it's hilarious. Like people want to shit on like Pat Cummins' captaincy and they want to, you know, do all that stuff. It's like, well, England and their lineup choices early in that series, they're the ones that cost themselves. Like, this is not a situation where it was like, Oh, Pat Cummins, like he made these poor fielding decisions and X, Y, and Z no not playing your best players as england is what mm. cost you too bad for you yeah that's uh that's exactly right, right? that's interesting <laughs> absolutely all right man well,
0: we could do add another hour on that so we better let you go mate
2: thanks so much uh look uh Thanks so much. Thanks for all your support. Uh, for people who don't know, we do have a Patreon show. It's uh, around about $5 a month. Uh, you get a, a post-game, instant post-game reaction show. You have a team selection show during the week. Paul Cousins comes on every three four weeks, does a whole one-hour VFL wrap, so you get plenty of stuff. You get access to our Discord community, which is growing huge. So uh, Game Theory Podcast, for those who love their basketball, go to – whether it's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, I'm assuming he's on Spotify as well. Um, Yeah. So, you know, if this is as good as it gets, if you're a basketball nut, this is, this is, this is a creme of (laughs) the creme of of detail and podcast. So uh, I appreciate that. That's nice. So uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely go to YouTube, go or go to uh, iTunes, Spotify, all those major outlets um, and check out Game Theory Podcast. So thank you, Sam. Uh, great to catch up with you again. We'll see what the situation is sometime next year when we reflect again. Come on the show, and uh, yeah, I'm sure
1: we'll do it for uh, list management as that whole thing's happening. Yes, so indeed. I'm looking forward to it. Maybe ma- look,
2: maybe maybe we'll do a, a, a actually one thing you you might enjoy. We may even do something like a like a bit of a a bit larger Zoom and have like Ed Pasco who does a lot of the a lot of the junior development and work and, and and scouting an for for oakley charges and all that sort of stuff and have a few voices on and we all can talk draft and and cool. and, and they'll, they'll and know
1: more than i do this is great I so, love yeah
2: yeah <laughs> so look thanks everyone for for joining us uh, extra long longer show than normal for us so but i uh, hope you enjoy it and uh good luck and go bombers on against north melbourne
0: thanks guys